0: Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench
1: with Tom Brenneman.
0: Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Hope your Wednesday is off to a fabulous start. They call it Hump Day. Getting ready to roll right into the weekend. This is Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. If you don't know, we're here every single day. Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon. You can join us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports, and that's where it's happening chatterbox sports all kinds of stuff going on we got you covered in high school college pro you can also join us on facebook at chatterbox sports we always invite you to subscribe and flip on the notification switch when our clips come out we were just talking about the tracy jones stuff yesterday I, the guy's unbelievable he's back tomorrow i'm telling you it's must see or listen because we do come to you in podcast form wherever you get your podcast You can check it out, Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever, uh, because the the guy is an absolute riot. You can find us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Tom Brenneman TV, Tom Brenneman TV. All right, here we go. The Bengals are back on the practice field today, getting ready for Sunday's game down in the Big Easy. Cincinnati, a a one-and-a-half-point favorite over New Orleans, who put up 39 against the Seahawks in a win on Sunday. They had Andy Dalton at quarterback. He started the last two. He lost to Minnesota, the victory over Seattle. We'll see if he's playing again in place of the injured Jameis Winston against his longtime team this Sunday. Now in just a few minutes on Wednesday, some of you may know, some of you may not. Every Wednesday, we call it the big interview. So we find someone and have an extended interview. Well, today, the big interview is with the big fella. One of our favorites, one of your favorites, former Bengals standout player and longtime broadcaster, Dave Lapham. We will learn about his upbringing in Massachusetts, his career with the Bengals, played in a Super Bowl, and get his thoughts on the current state of the Bengals. So stand by for that, should be awesome. He is the best, great storyteller, fun guy, Likeable guy, lovable guy. Can't wait to have him. Baseball division series are underway. Kicked off yesterday. And boy, did they start with a bang. Former Red Nick Castellanos, who did not have a good year, signing that $100 million deal this year with Philadelphia, leaving the Reds. He went 0-7 for 7 in the wildcard playoffs. 0-7, so his, his struggles roll right into the postseason. Well, game one yesterday of the division series, Castellanos three hits, three RBIs as the underdog Phillies chopped down Atlanta 7-6. And he's not known as a great defender, but he made a spectacular catch in a one-run game in the ninth inning yesterday. Game two is today, Zach Wheeler against Kyle Wright in Houston. Dusty Baker down there. We love Dusty. Seattle jumps all over Justin Verlander. The Mariners lead 7-3 to three going into the eighth inning. The Astros get two in the eighth, then get a walk-off three-run home run in the ninth by Jordan Alvarez en route to a truly shocking 8-7 win in the best of five. Tell you what, what managers do in the postseason in this day and age is not what they do in the regular season. Now, it's a little bit different if you're in a game six or seven, and I saw this in Arizona, when Randy Johnson in the 2001 World Series had won game six as a starter to send it to game seven, okay? And they bring in Johnson in the ninth inning of game seven for one inning. Game one of this series, Scott Service, manager of the Mariners, he brings in Robbie Ray in game one. Robbie Ray, former Cy Young Award winner, brings him in to pitch the ninth. And, I mean, he gives it up big time. In the Big Apple, Garrett Cole. Now, here's a guy who, in past years, has not delivered when the postseason comes around. But he continues to get better and better every year. And, man, was he dominant for the Yankees over Cleveland. Yesterday, 4-1 win. Cole pitches into the seventh. He allows one run, strikes out eight, 1-0 Yankees lead, best of five. And out west, told you yesterday, during the regular season, the Dodgers and Padres played 19 times. The Dodgers won 14 of the 19. Well, that dominance continued in game one of that series last night. 5-3 the final. The L.A. bullpen pitched the final four innings of shutout baseball to take a 1-0 lead in the series. Both National League series continue today and or tonight. American League has a day off. Then on Thursday, the American League will resume Game 2 in both of those series. National League has a travel day. A couple of other notes, by the way, in football. I don't want to forget about this. Good news, the Tua is back on the practice field today for the Dolphins. Now, he's still in concussion protocol. And no word as to whether or not he'll start yet on Sunday. But great to see that he is back. And one final basketball note. We talked about this a little bit the other day. The whole Draymond Green thing. Blasting his teammate in the face with a punch a week ago in practice. Well, for Steve Kerr and the Warriors, that's good enough. Because apparently he's coming back to practice today. So you guys have been referred to, before we get to Dave Lapham, and before we take a timeout leading up to Dave Lapham, I want to know if you guys are comfortable. Because I'm thinking to myself, your new nicknames should be ham and egg. (sighs) Thought about this driving in today. And I just want to know if you guys are comfortable being referred to as ham and egg. In other words, the ham and eggers. To quote Tracy Jones, Casey McAllister, Paul Fritschner, and even Brandon sitting over there like the dunce wearing the cap in the corner. Um, are you <laughs> hey, guys comfortable with that charge? Is everything okay?
2: I think we have to take it as a compliment, right, Tom? Yeah. I I'm not, ha-
0: you're not asking me. I'm asking you.
2: I mean, I think I, I would take it as a compliment. We're hardworking fellows, and uh, we know how to get the shit done, and <laughs> we ain't no uh, prissies. Nope. Oh. We're on board with it, Tom. Okay. Yeah. Ham and Eggers it is. Uh, I went back
0: and watched that clip that, that, that you guys were kind enough to post on social media yesterday of that opening segment, opening lines from Tracy on his, uh, as he says, six-star uh, all-inclusive resort down in Mexico somewhere. I don't know the town. Um, and when we were doing the show and he referred to the construction, I really couldn't hear it much. But on the clip...
3: <laughs>
0: you imagine waking up, spending all that money, going on vacation, and that's how you wake up when he wasn't getting woken up by Chatterback's Telemundo?
2: No. I mean, unless we managed to get a jackhammer and <laughs> start tearing up the street. But Well, but that that was the thing that I said to you guys before we started the show today, is if we could hear it that clearly coming through the iPhone. I assume it was an iPhone that he was using to, to call into the show yesterday. The iPhones are pretty good at muting that ambient noise. If we could hear it as clearly as we did from as far away as we could see it, it must be pretty loud down there. Man. I'll give it to him. I'll give it to him on that one. It must be pretty yeah. bad. Get wow. the other room, Trace. Yeah. Get the other room.
0: I'll be. You know, he said he was going to go downstairs and he was going to go ahead and 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 flip a baseball card, uh, one of his cards from his playing days, to see about getting that room upgraded. Uh, changing rooms, I guess, was a deal. All right. We're really excited to have Dave Lapham with us. His interview coming up next on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. We do this every Wednesday. We call it the Big Interview, and I'm I'm really excited about today's guest because I've known him for a long, long time, Dave Lapham. Uh, you listen to him for over 30 years on the Bengals broadcast. He's also done stuff for Fox on coverage of the Big 12 Conference. He's even done the NBC uh, NFL on NBC, going back a number of years. He was born in June of 1952 in Massachusetts. It's hard to believe that makes him 70 years young. I I, I just cannot believe it. Uh, He grew up in a town called Wakefield, Massachusetts, then went to Syracuse uh, and was in the famed Newhouse School of Communications there. All-conference performer, team captain for the Orangemen, Third-round pick in 1974 of the Bengals. Played for 11 years, and we're going to ask him about this 10-year personal services contract he signed with (laughs) Donald Trump, then the owner of the New Jersey Generals of the USFL. Uh, Dave Lapham, before we get to all of that, I hope you're doing great today. We thank you sincerely so much for your time. What was life like? I always love asking every guest we have. What was your childhood like growing up in Massachusetts?
3: Uh, It was great. And first of all, thanks for the opportunity to visit with you, Tom. You're a great one. No question about it. Um, It was had a had an unbelievable sports life, you know, growing up as as a young kid. Uh, As the season changed, that was my favorite sport, whatever the sport was in that particular season. And it's kind of funny because uh, my, my dad was a five foot maybe 11-inch, maybe 185-pound artist, and uh, technically illustrated by trade, never played a sport in his life, didn't know if a ball was stuffed or had air in it. And uh, my my mom was about six feet tall, like in the sixth grade. She was taller than her male teacher, so she had three sons. All of the sons went to her side genetically, and all three got college scholarships, two for football, one for basketball. And my dad's like, "What the heck is going on?" Because, yeah, he uh, when he went to the games, he really didn't understand what was going on all that much. But, but we all played sports. We all love sports, and that was a big, big part of our of our upbringing. You know, just pickup games, whatever it was, in the neighborhood. There'd be we lived in a neighborhood where there were a ton of kids, and a bunch of kids around the same age, like within a three year um, age span, where Shoot, we had enough kids to play nine-on-nine baseball, you know, 11-on-11 football. So we uh, we had a lot of fun growing up and it was very, very sports-centric for sure. When you were coming out of high school, were you one of
0: those guys that was a heavily recruited guy or were you were a guy that, that, that maybe was a little bit off the radar from some of the quote-unquote big boys?
3: I think I was probably in the middle. I mean, I, I don't think I was like on everybody's list, you know, to – uh, as far as a uh, you know, a blue chip recruit or whatever, but um, got recruited by a couple of schools, you know, out in that in that era, the Pac-10, the Big Ten, uh, the ACC, um, and then schools in the East. You know, being from uh, the East, Penn State, Syracuse, Boston College, and you know, schools like that. I was always a, uh, I was always big. I mean, when I was a freshman, I was six feet, a couple hundred pounds as a freshman. Grew to like 6'3", 250 as a sophomore. And then when I graduated, I was like 6'4", 275. But I would be, I would weigh, I would get up to like, you know, in the 260s or whatever for football, uh, and then lose weight for basketball. Basketball was my favorite sport. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was played, I got some all-league honors as a basketball player. I thought I was going to be the next Wayne Embry. In fact, Wayne Embry is the one that recruited me to try to get, go to Miami of Ohio. He said, that's where he went, and, and I met him at a basketball camp, and um, so he said you could play football and basketball at Miami. You could; they'd probably let you play both sports. But the story on Wayne Embry was I, I was a, a a sophomore in high school, and like I said, I was already like six three, about two fifty. So I met this basket. I went to a basketball camp every summer because there were no football camps back then, no contact camps, not even any football special skills camps or whatever. So I'd go to basketball camp every summer and try to improve as a basketball player and, you know, play very competitive uh, people in these camps and hold my own a little bit. So Wayne Embry's at a camp and he's given a lecture on offensive rebounding. And uh, it's a hot day, man. It's, and he's got the goatee and the sweats just coming like a faucet at the end of his beard, you know, and just dripping. And he's, and he um, calls a person out of, the, out of the crowd of campers to be the guy that's gonna box him out, so he picks me. And I go over to uh, to do this little demonstration with Wayne Embry, and I'm thinking, wow, this is the biggest human being I've ever seen. <laughs> so the first, they, they take a shot, and I didn't really box him out, but the ball ended up in my hands, and the place, the, the camp erupts, and he's embarrassed. Embry's now, he's now he's pissed. And he goes, he goes we're, we're doing this again. I'm telling you what, man. <laughs> ball goes up, I go to box him out. He runs me over. The first thing they hit was my chin on the asphalt. And then my hands, cut my chin, scrape my hands up. I mean, he just flattened me, man. And then he, you know, he helps me up. He goes, ah, man, hey, I'm sorry, young man. You know, he says, "Uh, you know, I I overdid it there a little bit. I said, I've never felt anything like that. that. That felt like a tidal wave. I can't believe how strong you are. He goes, well, you know, you'll see when you go to college next year. I said, I'm not going to college next year. He goes, you're not? I said, no. He said, how old are you? I said, I'm 15. I'm a sophomore at Wakefield High School. He goes, oh, my God. He goes, I'm really sorry, young man. You know, was like, <laughs> it That's was crazy. a great
0: story. It was crazy.
3: You know, you end up
0: going to Syracuse, and, and, and I got to tell you, um, and, and shame on me, as uh, I'm getting prepared for this interview, and, and, I'm, and I'm reading about a guy named Ben Schwartzwalder. Yes. He was a head coach at Syracuse, 24 years, won a national championship there. He coached names like Jim Brown, Ernie Davis, Floyd Little, Larry Zonka. Um, He was running a big-time program there at Syracuse. I mean, for the younger generation out there right now, they've had their ups and downs through the years and Dick McPherson and on and on and on and on. But what was it about this guy that made you want to go play for him?
3: Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, I got recruited by the running back coach, by the gentleman by the name of Jim Shreve, who was very uh, business-like, very professional. Uh, he came to the house in a suit and he had on a, you know, like a, a hat with a feather. You know, I mean, it was like a business deal for him. And he, he impressed the heck out of my parents. So that was, I guess that was a, a big plus for him. And I, I really liked him as well, scheduled a, a visit and like you said, I started walking through, um, you know, the place, the athletic, and it's been obviously built up. And Carrier Dome wasn't there. I played at Old Archbold Stadium, which was a pit. Really, it was a concrete, uh, concrete seats. There were no no backs to the seats. It was just all a concrete stadium. And they tore that down and put it in the Carrier Dome, but they had all the memorabilia in the athletic building of these great players these great running backs. And, and there were some really good linemen as well. All American linemen, you know, that played in the national football league. I'm looking at the history and tradition. They won the national championship in 1959 and that was before Jim Brown even got there. Um, And Ernie Davis, of course, you know, uh, was a Heisman trophy winner died of leukemia after he was drafted in the first round by the Cleveland Browns. Uh, And there's been, you know, uh, movies and books written about Ernie Davis and, in his in his life, he was president of the student body as well as a Heisman Trophy winner at Syracuse. You talk about a guy that was the all-American guy. So I start you know looking at all this information, all these, things, and I'm thinking, man, this uh, this is this is a pretty good uh, situation here potentially. The other thing I liked about it, Tom, was they were independent and teams could be independent back then and not be affiliated with the conference. And uh, so I thought, yeah, you I know, you get a chance to go play teams in the West Coast down South, like we played Miami, Florida. We played University of Washington. Um, you know, we played Big 10 schools. Of course, we played Penn State, Boston College, the schools in the East, we played North Carolina State. So we played, you know, teams in the ACC. So it, it was like getting a, a taste of football all over the country a little bit and kind of opening your eyes to travel in the, the country a little. And I thought it's just far enough away from home. It was like a five hour drive. You know, it was like, I wanted to get away, but not where, my friends and family couldn't get there. You know, it was like mm-hmm. prohibitive to travel there. So, it kind of checked a lot of boxes for me. And uh, plus, uh, at at the time, I was uh, interested in being a lawyer. And they had, uh, like you said, the Newhouse School is what I ended up uh, getting into after I was there. But initially, I I wanted to do law. So it's like well, pre-law, they had the Maxwell School of Citizenship, which was rated amongst the top in the country, as well as the Newhouse School. And I thought, if I do well in the Maxwell School, you know, I'm going to be able to get into a good law school. And I just found that I was doing fine with it academically. I just didn't like it like I thought I would, you know? It's like, eh, man, this, I don't know, it's not like Perry Mason. You're not going to be, you know, having these trials that are just like seat, you know, you're on the edge of the seat all the time. I'm thinking most of these lawyers, man, it's just a mundane desk job. I'm not into that. So I transferred from the Maxwell School to the Newhouse School. So I got a degree in communications and a minor in uh, in political science from some of the courses that I took for uh, the pre-law stuff.
0: Uh, you get drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, um, and your first coach is Paul Brown. Um, look, for, for the young people out there in this day and age, uh, internet, information readily available just like that. Um, but that was a different time, um, very different time. How much did you know about Paul Brown going into the Bengal situation after they drafted you, and what did you come to learn right quick about Paul Brown once you got there?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it, like you, you talked about Ben Schwartzwalder. He had 24 straight non-losing seasons at Syracuse, 24 straight. With all the you know all the great recruiting that he did, and he was a you know a powerhouse uh, program in the East at, at that time, and he and Paul Brown were friendly because you know Paul obviously was doing his thing uh, and having tremendous success with the Cleveland Browns and uh, you know with the great players that they had in, in, in that era, and, and Ben Schwartzwalder was having his run, and Paul Brown drafted Jim Brown and he drafted Ernie Davis. He drafted two of Ben Walder's running backs, two of the great backs. So they were, had a lot of communication, you know, over those time frames about the, those guys as football players and human beings and everything else. The pros and cons of of, uh, of both of them. There weren't any cons to uh, Ernie Davis, but there were some cons to Jimmy Jim Brown. But um, they, you know, they were they were very very friendly and very very respectful of each other's successes and. How they uh, how they garnered those achievements, what they did, uh, they were different in, in how they did it. I mean, Ben Schwarzwald was old school. Re- we ran an unbalanced line, and we just ran the football. I never I never uh, dropped back to pass block until I got to a training camp with the Bengals. We all we did was run the ball and play action pass. Um, so it, and we just you know it was grind it out. It was pound the ball. Um, so you know it was that that part of football, you know, I got a big taste of it, Syracuse, with Ben Schwartzwalder as the head coach. And I, I was honored to be uh, Ben Schwartzwalder's last captain. Um, he retired from uh, from the game right after uh, right after I got out of Syracuse and um, going over to his house and, and looking at all the things that he had in his house and listening to the stories that he would tell of, uh, of all of the great players that he coached. That was fascinating. His wife was a hell of a cook too, so I was looking forward to those meals instead of the cafeteria food. But uh, I mean, Ben was just—he was a great entertainer. Um, and, and the first time I'm, I'm there, he's like, uh, I, you know, "I'm going to do something." I said, "Okay, coach." He goes and he gets a shoe shine kit with a with a little you know stand to stick your foot up. He starts shining my shoes. On. I'm like, "Coach, I'm not real comfortable with this, you know." And he goes, "No, this is what this is what I do." I shined, the, he loved shining shoes. I mean, I couldn't believe it. He shined my shoes, boy, like I'd never seen him shine before, it was incredible. But, you know, so that, that's the experience with him. I get to Cincinnati and one of the first things, to your point, uh, Paul Brown comes up to me and he said, what was it like playing for Ben? What was Ben like as a football coach? I thought that was really interesting, you know? And, and then Ben would, would say, you know, I wanna know what Paul Brown's like. I wanna know how Paul Brown does things. You know, will you keep me uh, up to speed about how he handles things? And I mean, it, it was amazing. And then, right to your point about when did you find out that Paul Brown was a little different and special? Right away. Man, he gets up there to the first meeting. I'm sitting there as my first uh, day at Wilmington College at training camp. And I'm sitting there, and the offensive line is that one area of the, of the classroom. And we're all sitting there, and uh, he just walks in. Dressed to a T. I mean, everything's neatly pressed, and he gets up to the podium, and I mean, that room you could you could hear a pin drop. I mean, he had the command of that room, and all these big, giant, gargantuan you know athletes. And Paul's not a big man of stature, but he carried a big stick, boy, in the game of football. And I knew right then, oh, this is a guy that's in total control, and everything he did was unbelievably organized. Even his first talk to the team was unbelievably organized, and his practices, he was so far ahead of his time, Tom. I mean, he he worked us hard, but it was like rapid fire, no wasted time, weren't out there forever, get your work done, get off the football field. Didn't beat us up, you know, um, back in his era, most of these coaches were Neanderthal in their approach. It's like, we're gonna hit you. Man, this is a man's game. If you can't, if you can't handle this, get out of the game. You're soft or whatever. Paul would do enough hitting that you know you knew what you had to do and how you needed to do it, but he didn't beat you up, and he was light years ahead of his time in just about every aspect of football, you know. And and then the the coaches that he attracted to his staff, like Bill Walsh, was the quarterback passing game coach my rookie year, and I'm like, yeah, this guy's this guy's no he knows what he's doing. I had Bill Tiger Johnson as a my line coach, and he ended up being a head coach in the NFL as well. The coaching staff was was phenomenal. Everybody wanted to be part of Paul Brown and what Paul Brown was doing. And, uh, he was so far ahead of his time and everything that he did, um, how he structured his offense. Um, it, it, he, he was uniquely special, no doubt about it.
0: What's a real story lap. There've been a thousand versions of them. I don't even know if you know the real story, but it's been debated. It's been talked about here in Cincinnati. You just mentioned the two names. That's where I was going next. Uh, Bill Walsh does not become head coach of the Bengals. And everybody wonders what could have been, what should have been. Bill Tiger Johnson gets a job. God bless him. Uh, But Bill Walsh is Bill Walsh. Why was he not the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals after Paul Brown?
3: To my understanding, and I've heard it from many uh, sources, so I tend to believe it, it's a very simple thing. Paul Brown, a man of his word. Paul Brown told Tiger, Tiger Johnson was gonna be the next head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. He really respected Tiger as a line coach and um, he, he basically gave him his word. And uh, he knew that Bill Johnson was special, but he felt like Tiger, the Tiger was, uh, the you know, special as well. And the first year that Tiger got the job as head coach, we went 10 and four and didn't make the playoffs even with a 10 and four record. Then Kenny Anderson broke his hand on a helmet in training camp, and he tries to play, but he can't. And we go 0-5 to start the season um, in 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 Tiger's second year, and then you know it just kind of fell apart from there. It uh, it was unfortunate because you know if Kenny didn't get hurt, first year is 10 and 4. Who knows where we go if he's if he's not injured? So that's life in the National Football League, though. But as we all know. Paul Brown was right. Bill Walsh was special. Bill Walsh had an unbelievable mind for football. He was a creative offensive genius. There is no no two ways about that. And uh, when you put Bill Walsh and Joe Montana together, man, that's like uh, you know peanut butter's good, jelly's good, but peanut butter and jelly together, (laughs) now you got something cooking, man.
0: (laughs) Your second year, you become a full-time starter. Um. You mentioned you, you get to the playoffs. You, know, you lose to the Raiders 31-28, Kenny Stabler and, and that whole crew. Uh, then shortly thereafter, in comes a guy named Forrest Gregg. Again, I, I reflect back to the days of not having the internet, not having information readily available. How much did you know about Forrest Gregg? And what was that first meeting like when he walked in the door?
3: Yeah, that's that's another one that's that's interesting. I mean... I did, um, you know, being a big fan of the game, I, you know, the Green Bay Packers were on all the time, and they were such a great team and such a dynamite powerhouse under Vince Lombardi. I knew everybody on the Green Bay Packers, including Forrest Gregg, and I do remember hearing Vince Lombardi say that Forrest Gregg was the best football player he ever coached, and he had some pretty good ones, you know, with Bart Starr and Jimmy <laughs> Taylor and Paul yeah, he did. all these guys, you know, it's like, Ah, oh, Forrest Gregg's the best football player he ever coached? Wow, that's a big statement. So I knew a little bit about Forrest Gregg, but I didn't know, you know, um, as much as I was <laughs> going to find out, obviously, about Forrest Gregg. And the one thing about Forrest Gregg, uh, Vince Lombardi pushed the Packers, the famous Green Bay up-downs. You run in place and you hit the ground in full equipment. You hit on your belly and you pop back up, you run in place, and they are just tiring, man. And you do like 30 of them and then take a Break for five seconds, and you got to do like thirty more, and take another break for five seconds, and then you got to run, run around the field. And Forrest Gregg, you know, he did what Vince Lombardi did, but there was—it um, started in the first meeting when Forrest Gregg got up. In my mind, I'm sitting there in the first team meeting, and I'm looking at this man who's got a very imposing physical presence, and he walks up to the podium and puts his hands on the podium, and he's got Super Bowl rings on each, uh, you know, each finger, each hand. He's got multiple rings i'm like hmm, i think i'm gonna to listen to this dude i think he knows what he might be talking about you know he played for lombardi and uh and and obviously the he was a taskmaster he really pushed us hard he he really um, as 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 paul brown's philosophy was you know don't kill players Forrest was Get after the players. Right, right. Paul Brown probably extended my career a little bit, and then Forrest took those years away. Man. You know, so. But you know what? It, the thing is he had instantaneous credibility because I knew, and, and I talked to teammates, so I'm like, yeah, man, this is tough, but he did that more. Can you imagine what Vince Lombardi made these guys do? Yeah. He's probably making us – he's not making us do anything more than he didn't do. So in my mind, he's got, he's got cred because he did it. And, and he won championships and doing it. He believes in it. I'm doing it. What the hell?
0: Um, you get to the Super Bowl. And look, at the end of the day, you know, you're entrenched now as a starter. Um, and, and the easiest thing in the world, and I was thinking about this on how to ask you this, because I always find it so interesting, um, you know, and, and, and I'll reference baseball as, as an example. And you'll talk to uh, guys that were playing for the Reds before Joe Morgan got there. And how you know he was a guy? Yeah, he was the best player back to back MVP. So it's easy to say, well, he's a guy. But you know, from just a presence, um, uh, a toughness, um, a drive, all those kinds of things, that Bengals team that got to the Super Bowl. Now, Kenny Anderson was a league MVP. Um, you know, Munoz comes in, instant star in the league, et cetera, et cetera. You're on the line with him for for a decade um or nearly a decade. But but was there a player or two that maybe the rest of us wouldn't say, "Oh, okay, that had a lot to do with those teams getting over that proverbial hump to get the franchise to a Super Bowl for the first time?"
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh it's interesting, you know, you you hit on uh a guy that was was massive and that's Anthony Muñoz. You bring a A perennial pro bowler to the mix up front it's such a different ball game you know it's like okay he's the eraser he's got his guy okay who's got the toughest matchup otherwise and we'll slide the line and we'll double we'll figure out ways to take it he just made the equation so much easier and then max montoya was a hell of a player at the guard position we had a we had a good offensive line uh max montoya was phenomenal i mean as good a pass blocker as you're gonna see in the NFL and he and he could pull and and uh and and block these little defensive backs who were trying to juke him and he could change direction in in, in space. I mean just a just a great athlete. Uh, so we, we were we were pretty good up front, you know, and and uh, and that 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 was a big difference because Kenny was a great player, obviously. But now that we had ways to protect him and ways to run the football with big Pete Johnson and But a guy that was the X factor in my mind, we had Isaac Curtis and Chris Collinsworth on the outside, and and they would, you know, teams wouldn't double both of them. And if they did, my X factor would kill him, Danny Ross. Mm -hmm. Danny Ross in the middle of the football field was unbelievable, man. (laughs) The dude was like Gumby. He was so flexible. He'd take hits and, you know, just kind of like bend around and get up it's like, how how the hell does he get up from that hit? And never dropped the football. I mean, he was just unbelievable, unbelievable target at the tight end position. Over 70 catches. This is back in 81 for a tight end to have 70 catches. And just, he he killed people. So now it's like, man, you got two receivers. You got Steve Crowder as a third receiver. You got Danny Ross. What the hell? You know, and you, you go two tight end packets, You got ML Harris. So so I, th- I think that, you know, Kenny's level of play got to where it should be because he had a line that could work for him and and skill guys he could get it to, and he he won MVP. On the other side of the football, it's Crumry, man. Tim Crumry, right over that ball, just wearing you out. And I remember his rookie year was my eighth year in the league. I ended up playing 10 in the NFL and two in the USFL. And um, so I'm like, man, Friday is supposed to be half speed, two-minute drill and stuff. There's no half speed with Tim Crumry. It's like he's coming, man. It's like a game, and I'm like, Timmy, man, I'm 30 years old, bro. I, you know, I, I need I'm, I need to have my Friday don't doesn't take a lot out of me because I got to play two days later. Son, well, why don't you quit then? If you can't handle this, just you know, get out of the game. What the hell? You know, this this is the way I do it. I, I don't go half speed. This is how I play. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I get yeah, I got it. So I mean, we played 200 games that year, going every Friday with Tim Crumry. It was crazy. Uh, he he, just raised the level of the defensive football team. Man, that dude was, oh man, he was before he shattered that leg. He, he and even afterwards, I mean, for him to play after having the injury that he had to to a leg that got gnarled up like that, him mm-hmm. to come back and play and not miss any games, that's, that's crazy stuff. That's that's legendary stuff. So I'd say defensively, you know, that that addition w- was massive as well.
0: All right. So you you talked about leaving the Bengals and all of a sudden you meet this guy and you've been asked this a thousand times because, of course, he later becomes president of the United States and Donald Trump. He's wheeling and dealing in real estate. He's buying a team in the USFL, the New Jersey Generals. Um, I don't even know where to start when you met him. What was it like? Uh, What was it like then after being around him? How much were you around him? You know where I'm going here. What was it like?
3: Yeah, it was, he, he was unbelievable. He, at that point, he's only in his 30s, you know, late 30s. And he was a dynamo. I mean, just a, a human dynamo, I think is the best way to put it. And Jim Valick, the general manager for the generals, reached out to me about, you know, would I want to uh, come and meet with the New Jersey, New Jersey generals. What they did was NFL players, by geography, you had territorial rights to players in the NFL. By where your team was located, so the generals being in New Jersey, Syracuse was their territorial right for NFL players. Um, so he's like, we'd like to, you know, meet, talk, and so I go to go to New Jersey, uh, New York City metropolitan area, and um, Donald Trump in the Trump Tower, he just recently completed Trump Tower, the top floor of the Trump Tower, and man, it's like just as the whole top floor is Donald's office, you know, <laughs> and he's got, he's got all kinds of, uh, pictures and a lot of pictures of himself. Donald's Donald likes Donald, you know, there's no, <laughs> doubt, no doubt about it. And, and very accomplished guy. And really, I mean, very engaging guy, you know, and, and, um, and, and what, uh, what they ended up doing, which was unheard of in 1984, um, they said, okay, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna give offer you a contract. And this is where the, the information that's out there about this 10-year guaranteed contract is incorrect, inaccurate. It was a two-year guaranteed contract. He gave me what he called, he said, I'm gonna do a personal services contract. And that personal services contract means that I'm gonna guarantee your salary and bonus and everything, whatever there is structurally in the contract for two years. Whether you get hurt, whether you get cut, whether you get, whether it's injury, perf- lack of performance, whatever it is, you're getting paid for two years. And I'm like, wow, okay, well, I played 10 years, 32 years old. Man, it's like a 10-year annuity coming due, you know? It's like, man, guaranteed two years of a contract? Um, so I did it. I said, you know, we got, a- got ourselves a deal and played for the Jones. And I'll tell you, Tom, playing in the NFL – in the 1983 season, a full season taking every snap basically, and having two weeks off, and then going to training camp in January uh, down in Central Florida University, um, as with the New Jersey Generals, and no no break, and then I had an offensive line coach by the name of Bill Austin, and Bill Austin was an offensive line coach for Vince Lombardi when Vince Lombardi was with the Washington Redskins. Billy Austin, B.A., was his line coach. So you know where I'm going. There were no days off. There were no snaps off. I mean, that that back-to-back season, 83 NFL season, 84 USFL season, I played, uh, let's see, it was a full season, was uh, the, the USFL played 18 games. So it was, and then there was preseason, two preseason games, It was 20, it was 40, and then uh, postseason. It's like 42 games in nine months. Wow. And and no break. I was coming home, rigor mortis, man. I was like, oh, can I can't move. I mean, <laughs> I'm laying on the couch watching some TV and I can't get up. It's like, wow, that was brutal physically. There is no question about it in hindsight. I, I didn't realize how tough that was going to be, but it was compounded by the fact that I had an old line coach that there are no veteran days. There are no days off. You don't practice. You don't play, dude. That's the bottom line. Did you ever spend any more time or through
0: the years, years later uh, with Trump?
3: No, not really. He was very hands-on as an owner, Tom. I mean, he would, he would be out there at practices, the great thing was like, if we played the Jacksonville team, um, he would fly his you know, personal Trump helicopter down there and land right by the stadium. And the people would be like, what's going on here? What is this? Is this the FBI? What's going on? And out would get Donald Trump and just come into the stadium with a grand entrance. He was he was something else. He was, uh, he's, he's so, he's such a, uh, a forward thinker, you know, tremendous idea guy. Um, very, 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 very interesting man. So I here recently I have not, and once he got into the political uh, end of things, no, I, did, I didn't, yeah. but, uh, I did but I wasn't surprised. You know, listening to him and, and watching him, how he handled uh, people and situations and everything, not surprised whatsoever that he got into politics and ended up being president of the United States. There was no shocker there. Um, you get into
0: broadcasting and you, you get a chance with the team you starred for. I mean, you're on the 40th anniversary team, you know, the, the whole nine yards as one of the great offensive linemen, great players in the history of the Bengals. You get into broadcasting um, and, and look, anybody who, who thinks that walking off the field and walking into the booth is like some easy thing just because you played is simply not the case. I mean, it's taken you a while to get to where you are. Now, you had a lot of success early on in broadcasting, not only with the Bengals, but I mentioned earlier with, with NBC, with the Big 12 for years and years and years. But, but, but that's a, a tougher transition, I think, than a lot of the general uh,
3: population believes it is. Is that fair to say? Yeah, there's, there's always a transition. And, and uh, right away when I was done playing, I was thinking about coaching. I, I knew I wanted to stay in football. So I remember Tiger Johnson, when I made it as a rookie, uh, you know, way back in 1974, like you said, I was the 61st pick, third-round guy. In today's draft, it would have been a late two, 61st pick. I was all pumped up. This is great, man. Oh, man. Cincinnati Bengals. And then Paul Brown. And back to your other question about Paul Brown, my grandfather said, son, you're going to be playing potentially for Paul Brown? Do you realize how fortunate you are, son? Come on, man. I'm like, okay, here we go. And then I made it. And it came down to the last cut. I was a third-round pick, and they drafted uh, another guard out of Nebraska in the fourth round, and it was a battle royale, man. And um, one was going to make it, and one didn't. One wasn't. And I, they, he got traded to Green Bay, and I made it. So, I'm, And then Tiger's, hey, congratulations. Do this as long as you can, son. Let me tell you something. There's nothing in the world like this. There's no other job out there that has this kind of relationship with other people other than the military he said I'll, I'll probably give the military but he said the esprit de corps all this stuff it's different it's different than any other job and uh do it as long as you can so I thought well, on Tiger's advice maybe I'll try to stay in the game and uh, I was thinking about coaching and, and Forrest Gregg was interested in talking about going up there to Green Bay he was at Green Bay at the time uh, maybe working with the offensive line up there and so I'm like huh. Oh, and so my wife Lynn's like, well, enjoy Green Bay. I ain't going. Well, that was the end of that one. So, <laughs> so it's like, I don't really necessarily want to move the kids to Green Bay in that weather and all that, all that kind of deal. Um, but honestly, big factor was uh, how can, what's the best decision for the family? Because my we had children young and uh, had kids that are already in school, two kids, a boy and a girl, and I'm like, and they love Cincinnati. They had a bunch of friends, so I wanted to try to keep that as intact as possible. So the broadcast and arena was, uh, you know, was another option because you could still stay involved with the game um, and maybe do other things if you need to. But that could be a staple where you continue your association with the game that you love. And uh, here it is, 37 years later, still doing the uh, still doing the games with the uh, Cincinnati Bengals.
0: Um... want to ask you about a couple of issues uh in in the game today uh before we get to the bengals um a a lot of debate here over the last three four weeks about this roughing the passer thing about the concussion protocol thing um and a lot of people are weighing in on it, you know, one way, the other way, so on and so forth. I remember I used to get really upset with people a few years ago, Bob Costas being one. And and, and Bob and I have talked about this topic just, you know, on, on private conversations many, many times about how I think I think it's easy for the, 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 the quote unquote suburban moms and dads to talk about the ills of football and all this kind of thing, right? But if you're fortunate enough, like we are, And you start traveling around and you hear the stories of where so many of these kids come from, whether it's rural America out in Wisconsin, and offensive linemen, whether it's the inner city kid in Miami, oftentimes it's the only way out. I don't need some suburban mom from Anderson Township telling me whether or not my kids should play football, okay? There are dangers to the game inherent to the sport. It's a violent game played by big, strong, fast men. Are we getting to the point, though, now, Dave, especially the last couple of weeks, some of these roughing the pastors call? We saw it in Kansas City the other night. We saw it with Tom Brady the other day in Tampa Bay. Where are we
3: going? Where should we be going with all this? That's a great question. I mean, and uh, you talk Bob Costas, just a quick aside there. We both graduated from Syracuse together from the Newhouse School of Communications. <laughs> <laughs> he was the star of the Newhouse School of Communications. I'm like, this dude it's is as good as anybody in the country right now it is unbelievable but it, it that that whole that whole dynamic you're right the pendulum swings you know and and when you have something that is so high with social media now any kind of an injury it's not just nationally televised it's like on social media every form of social media over and over and, and everybody weighs in and it blows up it's viral. So the pendulum can swing like i mean big big swings and that right now what's going on now is a big reaction to the tua injury and the Tua injury in- involving the cincinnati Bengals. i mean josh tupal made a you know made a tackle and honestly when they i i thought there might be a flag because i i've seen that flag and they called it with tom brady uh, when he got slung to the ground a little bit. But I thought the penalty was him kicking up at the lineman after he got slung to the ground because I didn't think it was violent. But the, the Josh Tupo one, and, oh boy, is that that one, you know, you're not supposed to do it with excessive force. And there was a pretty good uh, amount of force there. But like you say, big, strong guys, and he hits his head. But the week before, the Buffalo fiasco yep. was yep. the one where he, get, he gets hit. He goes to the ground. He hits his head. He gets up, sits up, shakes, shakes his head. and I've done it. I know what that feeling is. Man, there's the bright flash, and everything is, like, super focused. It's like, oh, where am I? You're in la-la land, and you're trying to, like, shake out of it. And um, I've had many of those episodes, you know, and not come out of a game. But um, so he's, he's trying to shake it off. He starts to walk, starts shaking it off again. Linemen are staying around because they know. They've been there. They know what he's doing when he's shaking his head like that. He's shaking out cobwebs and then he basically loses his balance and almost collapses. That wasn't a back, that's not a back injury. I mean, come on, man. So then then the very next week, four days later, basically, Sunday to Thursday night. So now you have, a, by, by definition, a concussion is, you know, your, your head's traveling to the ground and now the skull hits the ground, the skull stops, the brain doesn't, the brain keeps going. So inertia takes it right into the skull and bruises your brain. You have a brain injury. You have a bruised brain. You have blood in your brain. And there's different severities to that. Um, but obviously, it was an issue because of his reaction afterwards. Four days later, he hits the same spot. And once you get a concussion, you're more susceptible and vulnerable to having another one because you're already bruised. Now he's, now he's, he's got frozen hands. His eyes are out of focus. His eyes are rolling in his head. They said it was ugly out there. That's why the whole team's out there scared, and and you know take them off in a stretcher. So now, every mother that's watching that game looks at their ten-year-old kids, and say, "You're not playing football anymore." I mean, it's that's just a tough that's a tough night for for football, contact football. So now the league has said, "All right, well we're going to change concussion protocol. If you've got motor, if your motor skills are noticeably inhibited." you're out. You're out the rest of the game. Now you have um, Teddy Bridgewater gets hit in the first play of the following game, and he's run a little bit. They He's done for the game. He passed concussion protocol four times. They wouldn't let him back in the game. So again, the pendulum swings, you know, and uh, so now everything, the, the hits that you're talking about, the hit on Brady uh, that was flagged, uh, the hit I mean, you have a defensive lineman. Chris Jones makes a great play. Yep. Takes the ball right out of the quarterback's hands. Puts his left arm down to brace to make sure it doesn't fall on top of him full weight. Referee doesn't see that. He sees him fall. He thought on him full weight. Throws the flag. So there's the pendulum. You know, it, it was here. Swing it back. you got to find that mid, that point that everybody can live with. you got to find that midpoint, and that's going to be – Man, there's going to be all kinds of NFL meetings that go on the rest of the season here and in the offseason with the competition committee and all these committees that uh, subcommittees that the NFL has trying to figure out how to keep the game safe but you know, not overreacting to things.
0: Okay, overreacting to things. We now get to the current state of the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, Chris Collinsworth was on the show last week And I know you work for the Bengals, okay? I used to work for multiple teams in my day broadcasting, whether it was the Cubs, the Diamondbacks, the Reds. They sign your paycheck, and and, and there comes responsibility with that and the people that you work for. Um, So I I just want to lay that on the table ahead of time. Uh, Yep. So— as you look at the Bengals, we Collinsworth last week, and I asked him just a generic question, not in reference to the Bengals, but generically all his uh, years around football. Does he think it's a good idea that the head coach is also the offensive play caller? And look, Sean McVay's a head caller, right? I mean, they won the Super Bowl last year. The team that they played in the Super Bowl, Zach Taylor's a play caller, so they got to the Super Bowl. So look, there's Exhibit A that you can do it. Um, This week, a lot of questions about whether Zach Taylor should continue to call the plays. I said on the show yesterday, there is no way on God's earth he's given up the play calling right now in the current state of the franchise. Is there reason to be concerned about this offense, Dave? Because this is a lot longer uh, stagnation uh, just these first five games. It, it goes back even to the postseason of last year and the last number of regular season games last year as to what they're able to do
3: on offense. Are you concerned about it? Yes, I am concerned about it. And like you said, uh, Kyle Shanahan's another one, head coach of college yep. plays. Bill Walsh basically did it. <laughs> and that, you know, that's obviously there's reasons for that. One of the greatest play callers ever. But yeah, I mean, th- this year, um, too too many situations where there's been third and one, fourth and one, uh, miss executions, low red zone, first and goal situations, 12 of those this year, they've only scored seven touchdowns and twice have come out with no points, the most famous being first and goal at the two in this last football game and run two gadget plays in that four-play sequence where you run the Philly special and you run the shovel pass. I mean, what what, what goes on there is... <laughs> When you decide to run a play like that, you're putting all your chips in the middle of the table. Because if it works, people can be, oh, that's brilliant! Gosh, that was the most unexpected! Oh my God, this guy is better than football! God, if it doesn't work, you are a dog. <laughs> and there's, there, it's black and white. There's no gray. There's no in between. Bottom line is, you know, part of it is lack of player execution, a big part of it. Um, but I'm old school. First and goal at the two, put your quarterback on the center, run the damn football. At least one down, maybe two, if it's going to take you four downs. Um, I have a different mindset on, on on those kind of things. But this year to be first and goal 12 times and only score a touchdown on seven of them, it's like 58%. percent you you got to be at least 66 or 70, you know, two out of every three. Um, there's like 26 of the 32 teams that are over 70%. So it, that, they're lagging in that area. That, that, is, that is a big area. And like you said, it's gone back to prior years as well. Look, in my opinion, when, when, you're, when you have this, the, the skilled people that they have to go in this, in the, the, in this last game against Baltimore, the first 13 plays of the game netted them 22 yards. They got 11 yards on the first play. So the other 12 plays netted them 11 yards. They go uh, pick up 11 yards and then three downs and punt. Three straight three and outs. You can't do that. Not with the not with the personnel that you've got, you know, on the football team. And it's a combination. It's not just play calling. It's not just lack of execution. It's both, you know. And um, they're going to they're gonna have to try to find a rhythm uh, and, and timing uh, and, and because uh, – Starting to run out of time. You're going to have to get it done, get it right quickly. You, now, you, now you're now uh, you're you know you're you're down. You, you get five games are in the bank and you're sub 500. And, and Tom, at this point, if they score first, they're two and zero. If they don't, they're zero three. You're not going to score first in every football game, but you have to get off to a quicker start in more football games than they have. And so far, it's been three times they didn't, two times they did. You're going to have to change those numbers around a little bit. You're going to have to get off to a faster start more frequently. It's not going to happen every game. That's impossible. But You're going to have to do it better than, a lot better than half the time.
0: The offensive line. Um, You know, they go out and they spend a bunch of money. I give the organization all the credit in the world for doing what they did during this offseason and bringing in these veteran guys who have been around for a while, won Super Bowls, been to playoff games, et cetera, et cetera. I was highly critical of the team. You might emphatically disagree. I was highly critical of that group, and it's just based on conversations I've had through the years with guys like you and Anthony Munoz and a 100 other offensive linemen or coaches that tell me the most important group on the field, positional group, to have communication and working together and working in harmony together is the offensive line. I was highly critical of them not playing those guys at all during the preseason. I understand the flip side. Don't want to get them hurt. But I just thought with a new group and only one guy back as a starter, it was important. The first two games were a disaster. Do you see improvement of that group the last couple of games
3: and moving forward? I do see improvement. Um, and, I, and I think um, a lot of it is based on who you're playing. The first two Weeks they faced the defensive player of the year and T.J. Watt, who is a game wrecker, and he wrecked that game on that side of the football. He hasn't played since the Steelers are zero seven when he doesn't play. Uh, in his in his career, he's that important. And then the following week, Micah Parsons was defensive rookie of the year and runner up to rookie uh, to defensive player of the year to T.J. Watt, and he wrecked that game as well. They haven't played that kind of a guy in the defensive front, and they. Handle things a lot better. So sometimes it's the opposition that you're playing against. But I'm with you. I'm old school. I know I am. But man, you have to go full speed with the guy next to you to understand. Okay, when that ET stunt happens, what level is he going to be setting on? I got to make sure I'm on that same level so I can we can zone block and pass that stunt off. And in, until you experience it full speed, I mean, it's now. Now you're just you're kind of guessing you know, and, and time on task. It's a time on task thing. It's repetition breeds comfort level. And the first couple of games, I'm, I made the comment a couple of times. This is like training camp for these guys now. It's These are preseason games. They're going to be better in week two than they were in week one. They're going to be better at the end of September than they were at the beginning of September here. And it's just just for that reason. Repetition breeds comfort level. And and uh, they're, so they're going to continue to improve in that regard. Now, they have miles before the... Miles to go before they rest, but they thought, the Rams and the Bengals thought, when we practiced against each other for two days and we go through, we have our periods where it's good contact and the offensive and defensive line, it's just thump drill. We're not going to tackle and take people to the ground. That that should be equivalent to what we're getting in the preseason, and uh, it didn't work out. Because the Bengals and the Rams' offensive lines uh, were issues yep. to start the season for both, yep. both teams. So like you said. They were both in the Super Bowl last year with the mindset of don't beat guys up. Make sure you availability is the best ability in the National Football League. Make sure these guys can go out in the field for you every single game or as many games as possible. Um, But there is something to getting things timed up, getting synchronized, getting in rhythm. No question.
0: Lap, we love listening to you, man, every single week. You, you are just the best. I mean, behind the microphone and just hanging out and uh, and, and, and spending time with you is always very, very special. Um, we wish you all the best, man, and we thank you sincerely very, very much for your time today.
3: Tom, I enjoyed it immensely, and uh, you know, I enjoyed doing football games with you. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a true professional in every sense of the word, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to visit with you. It was a lot of fun, my man. Amen, brother. Dave Lapham,
0: one of the all-time greats. He's the Joe Nuxall of uh, of football in this town. And, and, and there's no higher compliment you can give, in my opinion, to another human being. I mean, Dave Lapham is just, I mean, he is Cincinnati football. I I, I love that guy. Uh, he mentioned we had a chance to do uh, some college stuff together many years ago. His son came in, did the, he did the spotting for us in there. Uh, he was young. I think he was still playing. He might have been in high school at Moeller. He went on to play football at, I uh, can't remember if it was football or baseball that he played at Miami. I'm drawing a blank on that. Uh, but, but, I mean, and his daughter, Sarah, I mean, they, what, what a guy. I, he, he is just an awesome dude and really good at his job and fun to be around. And we're, we're so appreciative and thankful for his time today. Uh, our next guest, I'm not so sure what an awesome dude he is, but I call him dad. Um, so we'll have Marty Brenneman on here in a minute to talk about the baseball playoffs. We thank Dave Lapham. Hope you enjoyed it on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. You know, before we get to my dad, I, I, you know, the, the, the stuff makes me crazy, crazy. And we brought it up yesterday after the Sunday night game uh, of watching Travis Kelsey have seven receptions for 25 yards in the game, and he scores four touchdowns. Now, you mean to tell me the Bengals, inside the two, cannot find a way to isolate one of their star players? Everybody and his brother in the stands, watching on television, on the Raiders' sideline, on the Raiders' defense, they knew the guy that they were going to try and throw the ball to, Travis Kelsey, and they still did it. Four touchdowns inside the eight, two touchdowns inside the one. And the Bengals can't find a way to get the ball to one of their stars. Uh, First and goal from a two. Uh, All right, enough. Shifting gears now to the Hall of Famer, who I believe is down in the Tar Heel State. They actually call it on the license plates in North Carolina. They say first in flight because as many of you know, that's correct. Uh, the Wright brothers left Dayton, Ohio. They went down to Nags Head, North K- Kitty Hawk, technically. Uh, actually, the town is in Nags Head. It's not Kitty Hawk, but where they flew the first plane down there uh, because that's where the largest sand dunes are in the United States of America. So if they crash the plane, they crash into sand. You are down in North Carolina. Is that correct, Mr. Brenneman?
1: That is absolutely correct, son. And let me add this addendum to what you were just talking about. People should be made aware of the fact that uh, you know so much about that because there were numerous summers while you were at Ohio U where you'd go down and live with your grandparents and run out of control for a couple of months.
0: I was working 60 hours a week. I wasn't running out of control that much
1: you feel that much that that's the key right there 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 were times you know it i know it god (laughs) bless your grandparents if they were still around they sure as hell knew it but you have a you have a captive audience when it comes to the historical significance of kitty hawk and and nag said that was very good i like that
0: thank you very very much um a few things that i do know something about in this world just ask my wife if you don't believe me um, you know, but b- before we get to the baseball stuff, because uh, people ask me all the time how you're doing, what you're doing. I, I mean this on a serious note, and 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 for those that I engage in longer conversations with, some longer than others, obviously, like all of us in our day to day life, that you you are now spending a lot of your time when you're not in Cincinnati, which is most of the time, but you're spending yeah. a lot of your time in a little town where you actually started your broadcasting career and have stayed friends with for many, many years down in Salisbury, North Carolina.
1: That's exactly right. We we had the place in Siesta Key and we reached the point where uh, we were really not using it a whole lot. And so we decided because Amanda had been here with me a number of times and fell in love with a small college town between Charlotte and Greensboro. And I began my radio career here in 1965 at WSTP radio, which is no longer in existence, thousand-watt radio station, and and uh, loved the town uh, to the point where, when we decided to sell the condo in, in Siesta Key, we took a look here and we were gifted, we were blessed because we uh, were able to purchase uh, a, a great condominium down here. And amazingly, after being gone for 50 plus years, uh there are still people that i was close to uh, when i was here that are still alive and so uh i it's like going full circle is what it is and i've done a little bit of fundraising work for catawba college i have a great love for that school because it was instrumental in getting me in my broadcast career off and running so i'm, I'm thrilled to death to be here i always look forward to coming and i also look forward to Uh, seeing a lot of folks that I've known for a a half a century or more.
0: Let's shift gears to the baseball playoffs. The last time we visited, the wild card round was just getting underway. Uh, and We we walked through, you know, some more than others. Um, They won yesterday in game one after sweeping the Cardinals, the Philadelphia Phillies, I think of all the teams in the postseason, at least through the opening round and now one game into the second round, they have to be the talk of all the teams that are still left, right?
1: Well, they in Seattle, and of course, Seattle crashed and burned yesterday, and I'm sure we'll touch the base on that. But, uh, I, you know, I was stunned uh, with what Philadelphia did, and I take my hat off to Rob Thompson, and I'm thrilled to death that he uh, was able to negotiate a two-year contract extension with the Philadelphia ownership because it was a job extremely well done. Um, And you're right, but you and I have both seen it. We have been around that game long enough to know, and we talked about it uh, last week about how the Cardinals back in the early part of the century, I don't know, 2003 or four, were a 500 team when the season ended. They caught fire late and they just carried it right on through and won a world championship. And so every team that's in the position that the Phillies were in or are still in can look back and say, hey, they did it. Why can't we? And and uh, they, they have been very, very impressive. There's no question whatsoever about that.
0: And I tell you what, um, Castellanos, uh, you know, look, uh, I didn't get to know the guy very well. Just a few brief conversations. I know you weren't still doing the games when he comes here right. on the one-year deal and so forth, but he really struggled this season uh, after signing the major deal with the Phillies, $100 million deal. The guy – has always been a total gamer, uh, total gamer, no matter where he played. Detroit, the Cubs, Reds, now Philadelphia. Goes 0 for 7 in the first round in the two games against St. Louis and then delivers big time yesterday. I I think there are a lot of Reds fans that were really happy for him getting off to a good start in this series yesterday, don't you think?
1: Oh, yeah. He was your fan favorite because – He legitimately loved the fans. Uh, I don't know that the media would say the same thing about him, but I I think that uh, when he had three hits and drove in two runs yesterday, and um, obviously they need him to hit, even though they were fortunate to get by the Cardinals because St. Louis just stopped hitting. um, And they were able to get by St. Louis without him being a factor. But uh, as games go on and they continue to win and stay around, it's going to get tougher and tougher. So... Yeah, what he did yesterday was huge, and if he's if that's an indication that he's getting on a tear, then uh, all the competition that comes in front of them better look out.
0: Um, you know, you, you talked about momentum, and, and and a team that I always remember was the team, uh, the Marlins team, that, that won the World Series. Uh, the year when yeah. they come in as a wild card, they were on a roll at the end of the year. They play the top-seeded Giants. Uh, at the time, who had Bonds and Kent and so forth. They sweep them immediately, three in a row in a best of five. Then they go on and win the league championship series over the Cubs and so forth. Th- that momentum, I think, I'm curious to hear what you think. You know, you, you juxtapose the-, the-, the Phillies who come in on a roll after sweeping St. Louis. They win that first game against Atlanta. You mentioned Seattle. They sweep Toronto two in a row. Now they come into the series against Houston. They got that 7-3 lead, and now all of a sudden, two in the eighth, walk-off homer, three-run blast in the ninth. I wonder if that can just slam the door shut on that momentum.
1: Well, I mean, we'll find out. Um, and then if it does, it'll be understandable. I, I don't know who did the game yesterday, but I know that somebody made the comment even – Uh, either at the site where the game was played or when they threw it back to the studio, that this was the kind of loss that uh, Seattle may never, ever be able to overcome. And it might be, Uh, you know, they're, they're newcomers to this thing. What they haven't made the postseason since what, 2001 or something like that, something ridiculous. Um, And none of these guys, except for veteran players, maybe that they've dealt with. And maybe none of them have ever been confronted by the type of pressure and the type of drama that uh, every hit, every pitch, every out hinges on. So uh, this next game coming up for them tomorrow is very, very important because if they lose tomorrow, you can pretty much stick a fork in them. And I I guarantee you Scott Service knows that as well as anybody. You know, I want Houston to win because of my affection for Dusty. Uh, You had to feel for the Seattle Ball Club. Uh, one of the most dramatic moments that we've seen in years, and Alvarez made no bones about it. When that ball left the bat, the game was over. And it's one of the great things that make baseball such a great sport, especially in postseason play.
0: You know, Dad, I I, I, um, I, I look at the move made by service, and and, and, and this isn't second-guessing because I made reference before you joined us when I was doing the Diamondbacks games. I think it's very different when you get to game five, six, or seven And and I use the example about Randy Johnson in the World Series of '01, one started and won Game 6. He was brought in the ninth inning of Game 7 to get the final three outs in the top of the ninth. So doing things like that, I understand it when you get late in series. I don't like what Service did yesterday when asking Robbie Ray, a Cy Young Award winner, um, who's not pitched in the bullpen all season long. you got other guys down there that have done a good job for you, uh, and you ask him to come in to do something that he has very little, if any, experience. Um, now, does that mean he's going to give up a three-run home run down the game? No, it doesn't. I just think it's, it's – it's I almost think it's panic mode in game one of a series.
1: Well, you, you know, and you may be right, I, I, because I know that when you talk about the assets that a Seattle club had – they had one of the best bullpens in baseball. Um, it, without the work that they got from their bullpen, they would not have been in a position to lose that game because they would not have been around. At the same time, uh, I, I'm sure that uh, his thinking was, I'm going to go with a, a very, very difficult left-hander to face a very, very tough left-hand hitter. So in terms of the left-hander versus a left-hander thing, it, it was fine. He made a bad pitch. And, and Alvarez, who's missed very few of them this year, didn't miss that one. Um, but again, if you look on the negative side, you might say that, um, and again, this I agree with you, it's not a knock on Scott Service because I think he's done a marvelous job yep. of managing that club and getting them to a position that they've not been in in years. But maybe there was a little bit of panic setting in. And maybe he felt like, I'm going with one of the better pitchers in the league, uh, to try and get this guy out and wrap this game up, but it, it it failed. Um, I'd, I'd love to know, you know, when the dust is settled, uh, whether they go on and win a world championship or whether they're eliminated at what point, whether or not someone was sitting out with him in a calmer moment and said, you know, what was going through your mind? And probably they did. I'm going to go back and look and see if I can find information about that in the Seattle newspaper and see if anybody ever asked him. Why him rather than going with somebody that's been doing it all year long in your bullpen?
0: Well, look, I I mean, I'm biased. My next-door neighbor um, for the last 12, 14 years uh, was on his way to the All-Star game this year with Seattle and Eric Swanson, their closer. He has had a phenomenal year. And, And even after coming back from getting injured, he did not pitch at all in the game yesterday. Right. His numbers on the year, he's faced 193 batters. He's given up 39 hits. The league is batting two oh two against him for the year. And you're bringing in a starter. Okay, anyway, I, I just had to get that in because I love the kid and I love his family, and and I can't believe he didn't pitch in a game yesterday, especially after it went to the eighth inning in, in, in a three-run spread. Um, right. You, you, you go to uh the Guardians uh, two game sweep bang bang uh, just like that uh, they go to the Bronx and and obviously when you, you you don't have to play in the first round you get to set up your pitchers Garrett Cole looked like the ace that he is last night but I don't know about you I wouldn't count the Guardians out of this series what do you think
1: well I don't know Tom I you know again I I, I have such a, a... Uh, a great feel and a long-time friendship with Terry Francona. And and even though Aaron Boone is one of my favorites, uh, I would love to see uh, Francona go ahead and overcome that first game loss and, and win the series. You know, the Yankees, they have such an incredible level of talent on that team. Uh, you know, when you get a Harrison Bader, hits a big early home run in that game. Now uh, Here's a guy they got from St. Louis, and he's a nice player. But if you're going to pick somebody to go deep, it ain't going to be Harrison Bader. Um, so they can, they can beat you with so many weapons. And and they got the kind of, as you said, the kind of pitching performance Aaron did out of Garrett Cole that you would expect out of a hammer. Uh, the one thing that I believe uh, in the long term, unless the Yankees would just win tomorrow and whenever they play again and then sweep the series. If this thing goes on, uh, the Yankees have a decided disadvantage and they, they've they got five members of their bullpen that are not on this roster starting with uh, a role Chapman. And I try like hell to figure out a way to get rid of his ass when the season's over, if I were the Yankees, but they've got five guys that pitch very well for them during the season that for whatever the reason, whatever the injury might be are not available to them. And so if they get, a pitching performance not of the ilk of a Garrett Cole in game two or game three and they got to go to that bullpen early they have a problem and I'm sure that Terry knows that but yet they've got to be able to come back with a performance from an offensive standpoint in game two that's a hell of a lot better than what they showed last night.
0: Then there's the Dodgers. Um, yep. I mean look I don't have a crystal ball nor do you uh, but the regular season numbers simply do not lie. This is a juggernaut team. Uh, and, and they might lose the next three in a row to San Diego. They beat them 14 out of 19 during the regular year. Uh, they win game one last night, 5-3. to three, Their bullpen, four shutout innings uh, to, to win it 5-3. to three. I, I got to tell you, Dad, and, and, and this is as good of a major league team and this run they've had the last two or three years, I'm not going to compare it to the big red machine. No one would ever do that. But this is pretty incredible operation. They're running out there in Los Angeles.
1: You said it all. Um, And the thing that I, the, the thing that I would hope that people would not overlook and you, you, you bring up the big red machine and and during that, incredible run for that team back in the 70s. Um, There were so many naysayers that say, hell, the people talk about how good a manager Sparky Anderson is. uh, A a first grader could manage that club. And there are people, I think, that are essentially saying similar things about Dave Roberts. I think Dave Roberts is a perfect guy for that team. Um, They have great cohesiveness, uh, at least to the general public and who knows what they what might go on in the clubhouse i got a feeling it's as good in the clubhouse as it is on the field but this guy i think has done a wonderful job of having been given great talent through signing free agents and trading for players and drafting well and bringing those kids through the system and he's he's been able to uh, to mold that team into the kind of talented ball club that they have. And, you know, one of the, one of my favorite players in the game, even though he went to NC State, that's a negative against him, um, Trey Turner. He, he's about as good a player as there is in baseball now from an all around standpoint, because he can do every, he can hit for power, he can steal bases, he's an outstanding fielder. Um, they just have incredible talent. And, uh, but having it as one thing and going out and proving that you're as good as a talent would indicate is something else. And I agree with you. Last night, uh, when you real went five innings yep. and and had electric stuff. The only negative I have about him is he's a damn five inning pitcher. I'm not a big fan of five inning pitchers, but that's what he is. But yet the bullpen comes up and throws blanks for the last four innings. Uh, they, I, We talked last week or the week before uh, who our pick was and until somebody proves me wrong. And even though I want Houston to win it all, uh, if it can't be Houston, it's Cleveland. I still maintain when the dust is settled and game whatever is in the World Series is over with, the Dodgers will be World Champions again.
0: All right, I got one more baseball question for you, and then something a little bit on the lighter side. Um, what were your thoughts of the whole uh, Buck Showalter thing, asking <laughs> the umpire to check? I mean, I'm, I'm serious about this because you know, look, I see all sides up. of it because. Because, I mean, Buck, you and I have talked about this, Ted. This guy's a hell of a manager. And they won 101 games this year. He's restored order to a place there's been very little order seemingly for decades outside of a year here, a couple years there uh, with the Mets. He did a great job. Uh, his team's getting dominated in the third and decisive game by Musgrove on the mound. Um, and Buck did not apologize in any form or fashion uh, after the game, saying, hey, look, you know, Our numbers are telling us the spin rate's different. The velocity's different. There's some things going on there. I want him checked by the umpires right now. What did you think about it?
1: Well, I thought he had the guts to do it. Uh, it, When he came up empty, he looked like a bush leaguer. Um, And you're right. He did not apologize for what he did. He said, my first priority is my team. And all his numbers across the board, at least for a couple of his pitches, the spin rate was uh, higher than it normally is i uh, i thought it made him look real bad because if he was trying to upset musgrove he failed miserably um and we'll never know uh, because his story is i i felt like it was something that needed to be addressed and i give the umpires a lot of credit they almost undressed that kid on the mound you know feeling behind his ears and and rubbing the side of his face and and, and doing everything that they possibly could do to make a definite decision, yes, he is, or no, he isn't. Um, I, I, I took a dim view of it. I, I, I was because to me, it, 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 it smacked of uh, this is a high school, or college move right here. This is not a major league baseball move. Now I know you, you would disagree with that. I just think that it, it was best uh, left alone. And again, I truly believe that his, his, his intention was to have joe musgrove become all unbent and that did not happen and of course uh, musgrove gave a uh, the sign under yeah. the nose when he got that strike out after play was resumed um it, it was an interesting thing and my first reaction was that he's trying to get this kid unnerved. yeah not one bit that i dwell on the fact that his spin rate was up Uh, I think kids today are too stupid to do something, too smart to do something like that in light of all the publicity that has surrounded guys using illegal substances on the mound. So it was what it was, but it was one of those interesting moments in postseason history.
0: Um, Okay, Uh, I'm going to run a clip for you here in a second, but I want to ask you, did you see any of our interview with Tracy Jones yesterday on vacation down in Mexico?
1: I did not. I was okay. out most of the day, so I did not see it.
0: Okay, well, you've worked with Tracy on Brennan and Jones in baseball forever. You know who Tracy is, what he's all about, far better than I do. Um, but just to tee it up a little bit, Tracy and his wife, Denae, um, he surprised her with this trip uh, to a, a, a resort, unnamed resort, uh, to quote him, he says it's a six-star resort, although although I've never heard of anything beyond a five-star. But if he says six-star, I'll I. go with it. Uh, but we had him on from Mexico yesterday. And we're going to play a clip, and I'd like to get your reaction. I, I want to make sure you can see us okay, right?
1: Yeah, all am fine.
0: Okay, all right, here we go. Uh, Casey, let her rip.
4: I, I got to tell you, Tom, this place is an absolute dump. It was supposed to be some six-star resort, and uh, I'm not liking it. Can you hear the construction over here? There there, we got the construction over there. Um, there's a, like a swamp right in front of me.
1: I couldn't hear it. I can't hear you now. Hear me? Yes, I hear you now. All
0: right, so we're going to play this again. This is me asking Tracy... This is our very first time he comes on yesterday about- Am this I going to re- be able to hear it? Yes, this time you'll be able to hear it about okay. uh, this six-star resort where Tracy Jones is staying in Mexico. Here you go.
4: I, I got to okay. tell you, Tom, this place is an absolute dump. It was supposed to be some <laughs> six-star resort, and uh, I'm not liking it. Can you hear the construction over here? There there, we got the construction over there. Um there's a like a swamp right in front of me. It's a dump. And I'm very disappointed. My wife's disappointed. We've tried to get different rooms. We can't get different rooms. She's threatened me to go Giselle on me. And you know what that means. That means it'll cost me a few million dollars. I'm very upset. And I'll tell you who I'm mad at too, Tom. And that's you. You know, I had to do it. Listen to this six o'clock in the morning, I get this banging on my door. And I'm going, who in the hell is this? And I yell, yes, can I help you? Yeah, this is Chatterbox Telemundo ready for your interview. (laughs) Really, Tom? At 6 o'clock in the morning, what's the matter with you?
0: Any reaction (laughs) to any or all of that, minus the Chatterbox Telemundo, our crew showed up early, but uh, uh, Tracy's a high roller, as you know.
1: You know it's a complete about face from what he said to you last week when before he embarked on that trip down to cancun um it disappoints me a little bit because i think tracy is a bright guy but he really did not do his homework as to the quality of resort that he was taking his lovely wife danae to and this is all on him it's got got a blasted thing to do with you sending that crew to his room at 6 a.m. in the morning, get your butt out of bed and get ready for a public TV appearance. Um, I I will visit with him about this and I will try to counsel him as best I can to do a little bit more research before you commit yourself and before you boast of a quote unquote six star resort. (laughs) Give me a break
0: you know he had marital advice casey uh is getting married in june paul is yes. still single though dating a woman uh for a while now anyway right paul yeah, five years. okay that's a long time probably too long to date um but but he gave them marital advice and and suggesting to casey that he look into a prenup before casey gets married in june now you are a man who has been married and, and, and happily married now for round three uh w- would you go step and step for casey and casey if you want to jump on now you're getting the mayoral advice from tracy jones yesterday marty brenneman today what are your thoughts on that dad if any
1: well you know i i have waxed eloquent at times when i go around and speak to various and sundry groups and um that the road to matrimonial bliss has been a very expensive one for me. Um, But I feel like that I hit the jackpot the third time around because she has been marvelous in terms of of, uh, keeping an 80 year old guy as young as he can be and not sitting on my butt. That's got nothing to do with uh, with Casey. Um, I, you know, it's hard for me to, to comment on that because I don't know this wonderful young woman that you're on the verge of marrying. Um, and I'm sure that you have a great feel for this being it. Yes. A lot of guys have said that, man. Absolutely. A lot of guys have said that. Then they had to bend over and kiss everybody goodbye. <laughs> you're looking at one of them. <laughs> I had a tough time, but uh, as I say. I hope that, uh, and I, I give I give credit to people like Tom, and 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 hopefully in the years to come I can shake your hand and say God bless you because I have an incredible amount of of, of, of respect and honor those guys and those women that can get married and when the day comes that one or both pass on to a better world they were married when they both passed on just like they married a hundred years ago. Uh, i use that term matrimonial bliss as a joke but at the same time i think it says an awful lot about the people involved that they can commit to one man or one woman and they stand by that through all the years i wish you the best of luck as far as a premarital uh deal is concerned you need to talk to somebody besides me
2: (laughs) thank you marty i I appreciate that
1: tracy was on a roll check back Tracy was
0: on a roll yesterday.
1: Yeah, is he? When's he coming home? I
0: don't know. He's going to join us still down in Mexico tomorrow. I assume he's probably coming back uh, sometime this weekend. But uh, he was on a roll. He was very upset. And you
1: know. You know. But you know what I find interesting in watching that clip? He's been down in Mexico now for a number of days. It's warm, no rain, and. Every time I lay eyes on him, whether it's at the studios at WLW Radio when he and I do our radio show, or when he's on with you, he still looks like he's been painting closets. Yeah, he does. And he looks like they just dug him up. I mean, don't be afraid to get out in the sun a little bit. If you're not going to get out in the sun, stay the hell home. I got to well, talk to him.
0: Well, I mean, he, you know, he talked about going down to the uh, clothing optional beach um for quite a while and and what that whole experience was like he, he said he's very uncomfortable did he, go? Multiple... he he said he did. Um yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't... And I'm not I'm not going to get into his nicknames and all that other kind of thing because I'll let him No, that's a all... good thing. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
1: That's a good thing. You don't want to get involved in that. <laughs> that's the same approach I take with him. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day, and we will check in All again right, well, next week. Too. I love you. I'll talk to you later.
1: Love you, too. Brandon, There's, apparently he's not there today. Well, no, he's All here, right.
0: but we've put him in the corner now, almost like uh, the old school days. You can't do it anymore because you don't want to hurt any of the snowflakes feelings out there these days, including right. my kid, so is. I can say that. But he's sitting there like in a, like in the corner. He should be wearing a dunce cap
1: down I'm there. I'm working. I'm
2: working. He you says he's what? working.
1: They're the dynamic duo, I can't Casey and Brandon. Team. That's it. That's right.
0: And, and Paul Fritz, <laughs> dad, he's, he's he's one of the next great play-by-play guys out there. We're, if he can get away well, from, from the gambling table. He can get away from he'll the gambling have
1: my table. support because there are a whole bunch of them that ain't worth a damn.
2: <laughs> Hopefully I am worth a little something, Marty. I'm sure you will be, son. You
0: know, he was a guy, dad, that filled in for Joe Sunderman uh, doing the Xavier basketball games while he was still in school there. So, I mean, he, he, he's got it going on. It's a big league operation. God bless
1: you. That's right. I hope it's nothing but success for you, son.
2: Appreciate it, Marty. Thank you.
1: All right, All right, buddy. Dad.
0: Have a great day today. Enjoy, uh, All right, Tom, enjoy whatever too. it is you're doing down there.
1: Give my love to Polly and the kids. We'll
0: do it. We'll do it.
1: All right, Ben. I'll see our, you.
0: Our son was on the microphone last night out at uh, his high school announcing the soccer game. Uh, so that was cool to watch. Um, okay, well, uh, let's, uh, let's just get right to the cherry on top and call it a day, man. Uh, You know what? I wish we'd have kept my dad on the line for this. Uh, I I really do. Uh, I forgot this is where we were going. Um, Paul, fill us in, please.
2: Yeah. Today is the, uh, two year anniversary, or I guess anniversary is probably not the best way to put it, but two years ago today was, uh, when Joe Morgan passed away.
0: I cannot believe it's been two
2: years. Yeah, really, it seems like yesterday.
0: I met him in 1974 at Al Lopez Field in Tampa, Florida when the Reds had their spring training there and my dad had just gotten the Reds job. And I met Joe Morgan, Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, Tony Perez. Um, And and as the years went by, um, you know, years later, I'm announcing the Reds games on TV with Johnny Bench and Pete Rose is a manager. But the one guy that I saw regularly, more frequently uh, than any of those guys as my career went on, was Joe Morgan. He was doing the Sunday night game of the week baseball for ESPN forever with John Miller. Um, it seemed like a, he, they were doing a lot of the teams that, that uh, I was broadcasting for. And we'd have a chance to have dinner on a Saturday night or before the game on a Sunday night when he come into town. And I've often said, uh, I don't care uh, if you're white, if you're black, if you're green, or anything in between. If you wanna put up a guy who was a role model in multiple different facets of life, player, two-time MVP, broadcaster, should have gone in as a ford frick winner tim mccarver became the first color analyst to go in right behind him should be, should have been joe morgan and maybe he still will go in um, even though he's passed a businessman uh owned multiple wendy's franchises owned multiple Coors beer distributorships um obviously still a a honda dealer i think it is here in, in cincinnati um This guy, uh, his work with the Hall of Fame um, as the right-hand man navigating through a lot of tough times for Bud Selig, this guy was, he was it. In everything he did, he became the very, very best at it. And I was privileged and honored and blessed to have known him. And Joe, we miss you. So on that note, that's our cherry on top presented by United Dairy Farmers. And Joe Morgan was always the cherry on top, whatever he did, wherever he went. We thank Casey and Paul, to a significantly lesser extent, Brandon Seho. We thank Dave Lapham. We thank Marty Brenneman. We thank you for joining us. We're getting into football big time tomorrow as we're getting ready for the weekend. Zim Huday makes a return tomorrow. So does Tracy Jones. See ya.